This is the one with Destronic Toxemia. A slippery time ring. A clammy cave. And Davros's deal suffering a second commons defeat. It's called Genesis of the Daleks. Here, Here we, we go! We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Dalenhood, and the Cybertronic race. Some Tarans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS, we're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and read on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal road. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be? Who back when? Who Back When? Hello, podcast land, and welcome to episode C078 of Who Back When? A Doctor Who podcast. Talk past. That's right. That lovely voice belongs to Jim. Hello, Jim. Hello. What's uh, your voice belonging to? <laughs> well, my lovely voice belongs to me. I am Leon. Hello, podcast land. Hello, Leon. Hello, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> hello, podcast land. <laughs> <laughs> Pause to allow podcast land to say hello to both of us. Great. Lovely. Thank you. <laughs> Today we are talking about a legendary classic serial. I've said that on a number of occasions, but I think this might be the most appropriately designated legendary serial. It is by so many people considered the greatest classic serial. It is also, according to Todd's trivia, the most frequently aired serial of Classic Who. Oh, and it was, uh, I think this was, was it Doctor Who magazine asked fans to rank all the episodes and this was number one. And they ranked all over it. Yeah. <laughs> so th- this is it. Holy moly. We've got here. And did it did it live up to the hype? Your memories, the nostalgia? Well, buckle up, podcast <laughs> lands. <laughs> we're, we're in for a ride. You watched this with your, is it fair to call him your father-in-law? Well, not legally. But not legally, but... <laughs> as good as. <laughs> Whose favourite cereal this is? Yes, as you've alluded to, it's many people's favourites. Yes, that's true. It's not that uncommon, I suppose. But yes, he was um, thrown back to his 12-year-old self, I believe. Oh, (laughs) marvellous. Did you feel pressured to love it as much as he did? Let's just get into this for a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did not. I feel more pressure probably from you and the rest of the podcast, to be honest. (laughs) Do you think we should get everyone up to speed on what exactly is, is this serial, in case they've been living in a cave? I think that sounds like a fantastic idea. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view, and grab a brew, and listen to this overview. This free-for-all, we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. The fourth Doctor and his companions Sarah Jane Smith and Harry Sullivan are intercepted mid-transmat by the Time Lords, sent back in time and plonked on an active battlefield on historic Scaro to perform one last wholly immoral mission, namely to destroy the Daleks before they ever get a chance to rain terror upon the universe. Never mind that changing history to such a degree would undoubtedly cause ripples that rewrite and or shatter all of time and space. Something bigger is at stake here. The Doctor's personal ethics. Is killing the Daleks in their crib morally defensible? Why is Davros designing the Dalek tanks in the first place? Weren't the Thal the good guys? And whatever happened to the Mutos? This legendary classic Who serial will answer some of those questions. Biscal over, you are welcome, aren't you just? Speaking of questions, I've got some questions for oh, you. Oh, have you now? <laughs> Unless you want to you kick us off with me. something else. <laughs> no, please ask away. Okay, I have easy ones and I have hard ones. Where do you want to start? With a hard one. Um, All right, fine. (laughs) 
Davros was tasked with constructing these mobility scooters for the life form <laughs> that the Carleds <laughs> might evolve into over... This is a multi-part question. There doesn't seem to be much might in it. Let's just face, face that. They're all, all resigned to their fate here. Yeah, exactly. But might evolve into over how long a period of time? Because the Daleks... like A week on Tuesday, by the way. They're right there going. At <laughs> but, but the Daleks... The dogs themselves, they they would be unable to do anything. Like they're basically squids out of water in their current state. They rely upon the carleds to survive. They need to be in this like room that they themselves would be unable to build. Yeah, like they 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 need the metal casing in order to to function in the world. Basically, I have a few questions here. Please feel free to answer these questions in any order you see fit. Question one, how long a time would it take for them to evolve into this? Because at a certain point, the Carled race would have been reduced to, let's say, half squid, half Carled organisms in constant agony. And at that point, surely they would just stop shagging. (laughs) (laughs) Ipso facto, no more Carleds and no more Daleks. Question mark? Let's get all the questions out, and then we can okay, okay. circle around, I suppose. Why is the rest of the Carled society just happy? For this to happen. <laughs> Why are they like, yeah, sure, we'll turn into squid you monsters. say it's not on your bucket list to turn, turn it into <laughs> a green <laughs> pool of slime. No? Oh. Just me then. Okay, question three. It will take... It, this isn't... The reason I said, like, how long a time is because, like, this isn't going to take a week. And it's not like, oh, someone's going to drop a bomb. And at that point, we will all be squid monsters. It's like, over the course of, let's say... A hundred million years, we might devolve into these squid monsters. Why invent the Dalek mobility scooters now? Take it away, Jim. <laughs> I actually feel like what they are trying to set up in this is that it is going to happen. Like, I don't know what time scale, but in a week, a month, a year. <laughs> because of sciencey wimey um, radiation... That's not how evolution works. <laughs> but I feel like that's the only thing that explains the way they're behaving, is that they, they're expecting the biochemical shit that they've been dropping on the planet is just going to mutate everyone at whatever state they're in at the time, I guess. But there are mutos, quote-unquote, mutos, out there. Yeah. Who are un, like unshielded from all the radiation and whatnot. And they basically just, they look like... Hobo carleds. They don't have tentacles and stuff, is what I'm trying to say. They, they look like regular yeah. carleds or thals. I think one of them looked like he had a, a very deformed arm. Oh, I, did he? Oh, I missed that. I don't know if we actually saw it when, when they were close up, but when they were following, I think, Sarah Jane, it must, it must have been. Oh, I missed that. Or we were just kind of seeing silhouettes and stuff. It really looked like he, he had effectively a club arm. Like it was, but I don't oh. know if that was... If that was just the way it looked in silhouette, and because I remember just... thinking when when the mutos find Sarah Jane and she's unconscious, there's one muto, the sort of bad muto of the two, who touches her face and goes, "Oh, she's almost entirely free of deformities." By the way, burn. <laughs> <laughs> He's touching her face. We see his naked hand, and it's literally just a hand. And I was thinking, oh, why doesn't he have a tentacle or a claw yeah. or something that is more akin to what the Carleds think that they're going to evolve into. Um, I want to say they spent the budget on different things. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> is it inevitable that they're going to devolve into the 
they're not the Daleks. The Daleks are just the mobility scooters. But do you think it's inevitable that they're going to devolve into squids? Or do you think that maybe they are hastening that development themselves? As in, like, knowingly hastening that development. Like, we're going to end up in this form anyway. Let's turn ourselves into this now and move into these tanks. I don't know if it just it makes it a bit freer for them to be absolute shitbags to the Thal. Okay. So they can just ruin all life on the planet because they've got a backup plan. Okay. But I don't remember that being that clearly addressed. I, I think you just have to kind of accept that, yeah, they, they're planning for a future that may be tomorrow or it may be a million years in the future. <laughs> okay, know. fair enough. <laughs> they, they've just decided to get right on this. Make it top priority. Yeah, let's put our number one scientist on it. Oh, who happens to be our kind of leader as well who has a third eye yeah. <laughs> which yeah. no one pays attention to <laughs> yeah i mean he looks creepy as fuck like super evil in his chair and claw-like hands With, and, yeah and a robot eye in his forehead yeah and no because no, he doesn't have real eyes it, like it's eyelids are or they're so shunt or something or so, yeah so, 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 i don't know Okay. Well, all right. Sorry. I, I kind of threw us into the deep end there. I mean, there are so many super important subjects to touch upon in this yeah. serial. So where, where do you want to start? Apologies for the random introductory question. For once, actually, I might want to start at the beginning. Okay. Because this, I thought, was an amazingly sort of tense and dramatic opening to, the to a serial. Game. Yeah. Mm. Like, A, we've just, we just encountered a Time Lord straight off the bat. Yeah. I didn't get the impression that we were meant to know this Time Lord. I like, don't think so either. No, he's just random Time Lord to deliver message number one. Yeah, I didn't yeah. really think about it. In Classic Who, we had random Time Lord dude just show up with Pertwee and just go, Hi, here's your mission. Yeah. But that Time Lord, as I recall, was dressed as a human. Like, would sort of blend in. Oh, okay. But now they're on Scaro, I guess, so there's no need for him to, like, wear a top hat or have a cane and no. that sort of thing. Plus, I guess that would fit in for the kind of man from uncle type. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, 70, that is. 70s spy stuff they love. Very true. Slash Avengers. Yeah, that kind of yeah, thing. That yeah. Kind of, yeah. So, yeah, we've got a, a Time Lord. We've, yeah. We've got a massive war going over the face of the planet. Yeah, and it's a, it's a truly grim battlefield. Yeah. And oh. the, the mines that they, like the minefield that they have to walk through, we see a dead body within minutes. Yeah, and plenty of others afterwards. Yeah, exactly. There are explosions in the background. It, I mean, at a certain point, I was thinking, oh yeah, we're back in the quarry. <laughs> but they have done a fantastic job of dressing that quarry in just this nightmarish well you said it best attention like this this incredibly tense interval. yeah i mean then the doctor steps on the mind and yeah tension is like that could have come across as a, a comedy moment i think if they wanted it to i think doctor who has that ability to kind of flip things over and it's not a big deal like oh the doctor's on the mind It'll be yeah fine, that's true but. But we didn't. They played that super serious, and it was actually really tense. Yeah, I agree. There are a couple of things I, I think that sort of stand out there, which is, one, Tom Baker is brilliant. He just stops. He cares about his companions. No, no, Harry, you go. You go. Like, yeah. Don't worry about me. Compare that to what Pertwee would have done there. He clearly would have just gone, like, stand back, and then he would have, hiya! <laughs> and the mine would have flown and then blown up off screen or something. Yeah. But we also have Harry... Proving that he is the medical doctor, he's there to save lives. It's like, no, I'm not going anywhere. You stand a better chance at surviving if I if I yeah. stick around. And it's a beautiful scene for that reason. 
Yeah, no, I would agree. I also really like when they when they see the dead body and the three of them together start analyzing the anachronisms in the outfit. Like, oh, there's the gas mask and that rifle and this and that and like, oh. yeah. I think until Sarah Jane has this very detailed view of the clothing that like fabric just from stood to me. Oh. <laughs> I didn't think about that. <laughs> I think if they just um, directed her to be looking maybe closer at the fabric, that would have made more sense. But I'm also wearing that. She's still sporting that yellow Mac at this point. I don't think she's in a position to criticize anyone's <laughs> clothing. <laughs> wasn't what well, not she was not criticizing she just oh she was just deserting it yeah okay i see managing to <laughs> say oh this is a very futuristic fabric and this is really old fabric no i think the whole look and and feel of that opening thing is was very well done and and it has the aesthetic i mean aesthetic is a almost a crude word to use here but it, of world war one I mean, we even get to see the trenches yeah, of this definitely. war. And the gas masks certainly remind you a little bit yeah. of that as well. Like mustard gas and whatnot. But yeah, I agree. Uh, there's a lot of, obviously, World War sentiment yeah. throughout this entire series. Well, World War Two predominantly. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. I wrote down a question for you, because I don't remember this, but do you remember us seeing the Scarrow battlefields in Capaldi times? Because I know that he goes there, but I don't know, I don't remember anything really. Um, what I remember is... Handmines, yeah, I remember that. That's it. I, I'm it? trying to remember the setup, but yeah, that, that's my takeaway memory is handmines. The amazing foe that most likely was the result of a typo. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went, wait. Wait, guys, <laughs> turn off your Co- autocorrects. Correct nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that happened. <laughs> yeah, because carrying on, actually, if we, we could do a little bit of kind of linear okay. linear play through okay. through the serial. Okay. Like, we do very quickly get into seeing the Khalid military personnel. Yes. Who, they're not pulling any punches here. No, they're not. Are Nazis. They are 100% Nazis. <laughs> I, I, mean, I literally refer to one of them as Nazi torturer guy. Oh, is that the guy from LOLO? I think it, I think it probably is. This is little tank. <laughs> <laughs> Their bunker is... Am- oh, yeah. Okay, wait, hang on. It takes place in a bunker. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but also, like, th- that bunker is beautifully done. The- I love that underground train. Like, the BBC thought about oh, this. Yeah. The production team or-, or Terry Nation. It should say, this was written by Terry Nation. The Dalek Terry Nation. Yeah. Uh, and... Oh, okay. Before we jump into our ratings at the end of this episode, I kind of want to have a look at everything that he's written and just have a super quick spin through. He was acing it. He was killing it all through this with a couple of exceptions. <laughs> and then he gets to this and it, he it's like he's perfecting his own Dalek mythos. Yeah. But the... Yeah, wait, what was I talking Sorry, go ahead. I was say, like, we could stay on that sideline because this, as far as I'm aware, this is an episode that establishes a lot of things. For, for Daleks. Yeah. So is this the first time we, we know that there's a, a kind of organic entity in the middle or, or see, seeing it in this, this kind of way or have we already got that? It's not the first time because we've encountered this in Troughton times in, I want to say, the power of the Daleks where there's like a, it's one of the missing serials. It was a great one, by the way. And I'm, I, it might exist in animated form now, I'm not sure. But there's like a conveyor belt where they're building Dalek machines 
and they're taking these organic components and basically like a lunch lady at school <laughs> flopping it in there. We have had that before. But here's the trivia that I've got for this. This, this Paraphrasing what's on Toddy's Wikia, it, Terry Nation himself wrote a story for the Radio Times for some special that appeared for the 10th anniversary of Doctor Who in which he credited, he did say there were organic components, they were evolutionarily accelerated humans but they were created by someone completely different on a completely different planet under completely different circumstances but in any way in answer to your question yes there's always been an organic component to them yeah okay so we we knew that but this this is the proper origin story exactly you might even say the genesis of the darling exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah which is a pretty major thing it is it's huge and pretty major for another point being that we get to see davros yeah first appearance of davros i'm assuming is never named then if this if this is properly the first time the origin is really coming out this this is his this is it i think yeah i don't remember ever hearing his name before and spoiler alert also where he gets killed yes (laughs) which (laughs) yeah (laughs) given what i've seen of things that come after this is a he's very much alive later on a little odd (laughs) but then again so at some point i do remember him i don't know when but later on and i want to say tom baker that he meets davros again so somehow either he survived or maybe the daleks repair him or something like that i have no idea but he will return in classic who as well and when we meet him when when capaldi meets him do you remember he's got like a hole in his gut and he's like oh i've been harvesting my own cells to create daleks Oh, yeah, that rings a bell. In, in New Who. So, physiologically, biologically, the guy is not normal. Yeah. Like, he can, he can survive with half of his torso missing in New Who. He can probably survive being laser blasted by yeah. a Dalek. Well, so there, were, there were two things that I had in my head. One is, we don't actually see the normal extermination shot when, oh, that's he, when he gets killed. We just see his, I think it's his arm just kind of reaching in. Out yeah, of he, camera. he wants to destroy them. Yeah. He basically regrets it all. And they're, they're saying exterminate. We hear the sound, but yeah. we don't see the effect. So it's possible something else has happened. But I also have a vague feeling that in, in You Who, he gets killed off and then comes back again. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I, I sort of think there was an appearance of his where I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure you were dead already. And they, <laughs> and they explain that way somehow. Maybe just keeps coming back, much like the dogs. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the, the shtick. It's, it's really fun how ingrained in the public consciousness the image of Davros is. I mean, much like the Daleks themselves. Yeah. Because when Davros shows up in New Who, whenever that is, I don't remember now, he's showing up with Tennant as yeah, well, right? Tennant, yeah. So when he shows up, most people have never seen him on TV. I hadn't seen him since I was a child. But he's so incredibly recognizable. Everyone knows who he is. And when he now appears for the first time, imagine that you are viewing this with a completely clean palette. What do you think the first encounter with Dabros is like? I feel like I would find it hard to look at that guy and go, you're not an evil bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when he's surrounded by Nazis. <laughs> oh, wait, but hang he, on. You started on down the Nazi track and we never f- wrapped that up. Oh, they, they'll keep coming back, I'm okay. sure. <laughs> Which, unfortunately, we do in real life. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's an incredible character and he's done amazingly well. The the actor, I think, gets a little bit carried away on occasion. but <laughs> <laughs> When he starts screaming. Yeah. But We'd, so does LOLO. Yeah. No, there, there is a bit of kind of very dramatic over-the-topness to this. Yeah. 
serial, I, but I think it gets away with it. I think so too. And I think I can forgive that in Davros because I, I figure socially the Daleks have inherited some of these traits from him. No, exactly. Yeah. And it helps. Another thing helps as well. The guy, I, I don't remember his name now, the guy who played Davros, he had voiced Daleks before. Oh, I did wonder that because he, he does the kind of, he has the back I mean, throaty. Yeah, he's got that exactly. Like, yeah. dude, just hock a loogie or something. <laughs> <laughs> Here, have a strepsil. But then, in addition to that, he's even got like a little headset, like a microphone in front of him, as in the character of Davros. Yeah, because he needs some sort of speaking aid, and that uses the same vibrato. You know that recognizable yeah. Dalek vibrato. Obviously, you know, like father, like son. That's how the Daleks yeah. learned that. No, I, th- I thought he was super menacing and i don't know surprisingly well not i guess not surprisingly because they're mimicking nazis down to the t that he's actually quite not to say charming but persuasive and eloquent in his dialogue a lot of the time yeah he actually i don't know for certain but i i feel like he's probably got more dialogue than the doctor does through this series oh i'm sure he does yeah he speaks to the are they called the elite yes yeah, way to go, guys. Way to <laughs> connect with the, the people. He holds court for the elite, for this group of scientists slash the government-ish, at least twice in this series. Yeah, he, well, because I, I kind of noted, actually, how light the dialogue is during this, this whole serial. There's oh, a, really? I kind of felt like there's a lot of things happening. Um, they spent a lot of time and budget getting the look and feel right through the serial and it works really well but i started noticing i think maybe episode three like you know i think they're conveying a lot of this without actually saying a lot there's also a lot of set pieces which take up time in an episode yeah i guess maybe that's add tension and action and you know suspense without there being any kind of dialogue i'm thinking like the rocket scenes as in the climbing up the rocket oh oh, falling down the scaffolding oh yeah okay yeah sorry (laughs) putting pins everywhere but like there are all these set pieces. That's like a third of an episode. Yeah, and you're right. There's like there's no dialogue in there except the occasional "We got to climb faster." Yeah, I didn't think about that. I don't. I'm not saying it's a negative, really. I think well, the one negative I would possibly attach to it, yeah, is that until I think the Doctor actually encounters Damros, mm-hmm. the Doctor isn't really doing a lot. I don't think um, Tom Baker's getting a lot of chance to shine like other than that that opening setup with like the war and the, the in the trenches yeah i think there's a it goes a little bit kind of flat through i quite the like him view, when but. he's talking to lo hello though you know when yeah, he, he's emptying his yeah that was nice and, was, yeah start. what what does he say turn on your pockets <laughs> 20 20 things on the table it might take some time <laughs> <laughs> with a big grin on his face as he always does yeah <laughs> that was nice sonic screwdriver bag of jelly babies Oh. Yo yo. Some other he had some other bit of tech that they were intrigued by. Yeah, it was some sort of sensor equipment. Yeah. Whatever he had in his pockets on a Tuesday. <laughs> Speaking of sensor equipment, one thing did sorry, I'm this is a bit of a leap from what we were talking about, but in the New Who uh, reviews we're constantly complaining how the sonic screwdriver is simply used for everything. It's yeah. used ad nauseum, not only to solve every problem and open every door, but to reprogram every computer. And it's used as a sensor constantly. And in this one, there is explicitly a scene where the doctor says, I can't open this door with a Sonic. Like, I'll need something better than a Sonic screwdriver, yeah. basically. Although I found that slightly frustrating because oh, it really? didn't seem like that complicated a door. <laughs> but I guess up to this point, 
We haven't seen. But there are no screws. Yeah. Like, there, there's nothing to unscrew. Doesn't he? Does I'm sure he uses it to zap some circuitry. Oh, does he? I don't I remember if, that. Whether he's done that before or after this. He did that in the Suntaran experiment. He turned off the um, force field with the Sonic. I don't remember him doing so in this one. Either way, I think they are loosening it up a bit, aren't they? They're, yeah. They're, they're paving way. Yes. To, to <laughs> it just being a MacGuffin. Yeah, but they. It's better in this one. Is my point. Yeah. Like no. No. It, it only really appears twice, and once when it's just being discarded as pocket lint and once when he says this is useless <laughs> thank you tom baker did you also get terminator vibes terminator future post-apocalyptic terminator vibes as in go back and try and stop it all from happening type thing oh you know what i hadn't even made that ridiculously blatant connotation oh. myself but i was thinking in the bunker and the just sort of the, the military complex you have the the rebels the human rebels who are i guess the thals in this one yeah but you also have the like there's organized military which are the unfortunately the nazis in this one but yeah. but also john connor in like terminator salvation and you know all of those i may not have have terminator freshly in my head enough to terminator 2 is the one i probably know best yeah fair enough. That 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 really i apologize for bringing out salvation i mean guys don't stop listening <laughs> but yeah we, we definitely have I, I feel like we're getting into the era of doctor who that maybe a lot of other sci-fi has been watching it Very and possibly. learning from it. Yeah, I've just found it here. I, I wrote down uh, a quote, which was when they're first brought into the bunker, someone says they don't look like Thals. Rumor has it the Thals were developing robots. Oh, yeah. And that feels almost exactly like the beginning of Terminator 1? Terminator? Is it in Terminator 1? In the first Terminator? Where like they're getting people into their underground bunker and one of them, well, is a Terminator, is a robot, masquerading as a... I want to say that's salvation, actually. Is that salvation? Oh, shit. Because <laughs> I, I have this distinct memory of Michael Bean going, well, in the beginning, they weren't very good, and you could smell the, like, the skin felt plasticky and smelled fake and whatever. I, uh, oh, whatever. Okay, okay, sorry. This is, Catch you later on the Terminator podcast. <laughs> this is the point, though, where Sarah Jane goes off on a massive tangent, as yes. seems to be her want. Yeah, you're right. You've pointed this out two serials in a row now, I think. I think more than that. I think yeah. I, I think it's getting a bit of a stuck record. I might have to just stop paying attention to it. But she but has more agency in this one. She does. She definitely does. So how do you feel? How do you feel about her subplot? Um, I think it it is definitely a subplot. Okay. Which is a shame, I guess, because it, it's again she's being sidelined for the Harry Sullivan show a bit. I guess so. And then we do get the amazingly terrible cliffhanger <laughs> of episode. Two, I think it is. Is that her falling down the scaffolding? Literally falling to her death. Like we, she is in midair, way off the frame. Yeah. Well, she's in midair, freeze frame. Yeah. Which, according to trivia, first time the freeze frame technology had been used in this uh, this way on Doctor Who. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, oh my god, we're clearly dead. We've got to wait a week. How on earth are we going to cope not knowing if Sarah Jane survived? But yeah, it doesn't look like she's going to survive because everyone else who's fallen off that has died. Fast forward one week and her boyfriend Quasimodo is like mopping up the floor. <laughs> <laughs> but of, of all the, yeah, the, the far reaching hopeful schemes that people would have put together to say, oh, this is how she'll get out of it. <laughs> Someone, you know, will come and, and grab her or 
Yeah, instead she... No, somehow falls back into the yeah. frame of the thing she fell off. That's how falling works, I believe. You're oh, fine. I see. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. I've been doing <laughs> it wrong scaffolding this time. scaffolding has mass. So right. there's a teeny tiny bit of gravity. Like oh, it has I its see. own gravity. Right. So okay. she's pulled back. Oh, science, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it is becoming a thing when I sit down and watch these serials of just how bizarre to have 20 minutes of kind of normal pace stuff and then just a crescendo to a <laughs> to a cliffhanger and then a really weak resolution the next week and then 20 minutes of normal stuff. And it's just, even if you had a weak gap, I'm not sure if I would have put up with it <laughs> for as long as the fans must have. Okay, so what are the cliffhangers that we have here? Because we have five of them. We have yeah. Davros and the Dalek test in the first episode, right? Yes. Then we have Sarah Jane freeze frame cliffhanger pre yep. hanging from a cliff. Part three ends in... The Doctor being electrocuted on the very same oh. frame that Sarah Jane fell from. Which is so dumb. Why Why do you have a button that electrocutes anyone on the <laughs> scaffolding? <laughs> Part four is the torture lie detector, which I thought was quite good. But I wanted the lie detector to be attached to the torture device. I didn't want there to just be like a... A light will shine telling Davros that you're lying and he will then administer the torture. I wanted the doctor to administer the torture by lying and therefore being more compelled to tell the truth. Oh, interesting. Or having him, what I expected to happen was actually having him tell blatant lies or, you know, sorry, plausible lies rather. And then us figuring out, you know what, the doctor is just so clever. He can best this lie detector. Oh, which would be more in line with what we've seen on Doctor Who before. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I would have actually rather those things as well, because the fact that the, the Doctor is put in that pressure and caves. Yeah. It feels like you want him to care about the companions, but... But come on, do the maths here. Yeah. You have the whole universe versus two people. The whole universe, including these two people, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Versus just these two people. I think if it, if it had been clearer that he was gambling, like he was giving some information with the hope that he would still have enough time to yeah like well, he get, claw it all back and yeah but you know what it's really difficult to withstand sarah's agony vibrato <laughs> well not vibrato staccato uh, when she's just like no doctor i am in pain it is safe oh it's terrible acting <laughs> from both sarah and me that is dreadful okay wait Part three ends with the doctor being strangled by a dalek part five. Oh, sorry part five sorry yeah yeah, yeah which no, so we we missed how these get resolved a little bit. Oh so yeah, <laughs> the electrocution one. The doctor's just fine. He gets captured. Yeah, yeah. The torture thing. Doc caves, spills all the beans. Yeah, <laughs> the Dalek. And I actually want to make a point here that they don't look like squids in this thing. They look like algae. Yeah, the, it reminded me of when I was a kid in school and we had to grow beanstalks. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leon and the beanstalk. <laughs> Fan fiction coming to you soon. <laughs> Whatever state they are in, they're wrapped around the Doctor's neck, and then it's not a problem. The next episode, people just grab, just, yeah, grab it off him. Do people even help him? I feel like he yeah, throws bits of... I mean, he tears it into several parts. Yeah, I think it's just like, oh, it's a little bit tight around my neck. Let me just loosen it up. Oh, there, it's all gone. Great. <laughs> yeah. Tension averted. Yeah. <laughs> Get back to your rest of your week, folks. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really loving these kind of forced cliff- okay. cliffhangers at the end of each episode. Fair enough. <laughs> which is it's a minor part of a larger serial, which 
I don't I don't want to be super picky about it because I enjoyed the hell out of this. Just putting that out there. As right, as did I. Right this second. I'm scrubbing through my notes and there are a couple of points here where I've literally just gone, this cereal is so good. There are a number of things, though, where even though I loved this cereal and even though the bits that are terrible in it are endearingly so, there are still bits that certainly could have been improved upon. See, my mind goes to the killer clam, but I'm suspecting you quite like that. Okay, yeah, I mean, I, I would have been worried for Harry if I hadn't been so aroused by the sexual imagery. <laughs> the, the, the giant clam, let's, let's talk about the giant clam. So what is the background to this? Davros has used various animals to mutate them. To, to work out how the Khaleds will mutate so that he can then plan for their future. Right. That's, okay. That's what I took from it. And consequences of this includes w- what seems to be some sort of gigantic lizard at one point. That when they first look through the grating, this yeah. giant lizard comes pa- it goes I, past. I was super prepared for some awesome monster to be lurking down there and they'd have to deal with it. Me too. And we never get to see it again. No. And we, that's We get the killer clown. We get the killer clown, but but <laughs> But isn't that kind of brilliant? <laughs> Is it? Is it? <laughs> isn't it kind of brilliant that w- w- we they tease us with the potential of of this <laughs> dinosaur like creature? It's just like you know what we could do dinosaur, but that's basic. <laughs> We're gonna go with clams. We get to see the clams twice. We do because he he's, Harry is nearly stupid enough to step in one again. <laughs> <laughs> By the way. Is it a little bit on the nose, in your opinion, that the guy who's been a, a bit of a chauvinist so far puts his foot in a clam? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if they're making any innuendos there. No? <laughs> I don't know. Well, he puts his foot in it anyway. In fact, he even makes a point of like, oh, trust me to put my foot in it or something like yeah. that. The next time we meet them, we there are like three or four of them in a row and they don't move at all. The first one at the very least has like claws around his yeah. leg. When they go back through again and Sarah Jane is with them, there are just three or four clams in a row and they're just completely still. They're clearly just the props without a human maneuvering them. And there's really tense music, and they have to jump over them and run, <laughs> like, dash past. But it's just these dead props. Yeah. <laughs> I love the clams. <laughs> I cannot describe how much I love the clams. I love the whole cave situation. That subplot is brilliant, I think. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> they have to go into vents. The vents lead into cave. There's a dinosaur we never meet. It's great. <laughs> it's an incredibly elaborate story actually it is and and they mostly i think set up a lot of elaborate sets to go along with it yeah like they they don't just make a corridor for the entire serial that's true they make a corridor for one setting and they shoot it from every angle they can that is very true but and we've been here before on who back when terry nation tends to recycle his material and he has i mean now I can't remember which one it is. I think it might have been, was it Death to the Daleks? One that you and I reviewed recently, mm. where I said, isn't this just him having rewritten the Daleks, the the very yeah. first Dalek one? And there are elements of that first Dalek serial in this one as well. There's a Dalek city in that one here. There's a Khaled city. They have to go through a cave and a tunnel system in order to crawl into the city from below. In that one, in this one, they go through the cave and then climb up, and that way they've 
infiltrated, whatever it is. Yeah. Or is it the Thal city, maybe, not the Colored city? I think they do it both ways around, actually. They do. There's a convenient way to get from <laughs> one warring city to the other warring city. <laughs> so these cities are miles away from each other, and there's a mountain range between them if the map is anything to go by. Oh, yeah. How does Davros, who is effectively inside half of a Dalek, like his wheelchair is the bottom half of a Dalek, yeah. so he can't climb stairs and stuff, it certainly can't climb mountains. And his adjutant, Mr. You know, Himmler, how do they get from City A to City B without anyone noticing and in so short a time? I have no idea. Question two. If there is a way for people, e.g. the Carlids or the Doctor, to go from City A to City B, why hasn't there been a guerrilla war at some point? Why aren't there soldiers crawling in and peppering their enemies? I don't know. Okay. This, this to me is the Lord of the Rings. There's a little side door to Helm's. Oh, I see. Helm's Deep. <laughs> where we, we can get out and go and attack them. But no, they can't come around there. They'll just go through the front door. <laughs> right. <laughs> this hidden passage. Like, don't put hidden passages into your very highly guarded military base. Make them come through the front door. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the one that you're defending. <laughs> Did you like the, excuse me, can you help me? I'm a spy. Oh, I think I did, yes. It's very similar to Pertwee. In fact, there are two gods whose heads he bashes together, which is exactly what he did in the Time Warrior, I think. This did feel a bit Pertwee-esque, actually, that moment. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it's because Terry Nation just writes the Doctor as he wants it? Maybe. But he wrote very, I mean, he wrote for the first Doctor. Oh, okay. And the second Doctor. I want to say the second Doctor as well. How do we feel about them being Khalid's anagram of Dalek? Or Dalek being anagram of Khalid, however you want to look at it. I mean, it is dumb, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's... Okay. Do you feel that it is fair to let Terry Nation get away with that one in exchange for him not having called anything a space something in this serial? Yes. Done! (laughs) (laughs) I am very happy not to have a space something. (laughs) I also, I think, as we said about the the voice, I think you can attribute some of this to the narcissism of Davros himself. That's true. Like, given his kind of makeup, we could possibly say he would do that. I don't know. (laughs) It's, It's better than Mark III travel machine. So, that's true. So, Mark Three on TARDIS Wikia, there was a... Oh, I've already closed down the trivia, but so on, on TARDIS Wikia, there was, a, there was also a point to say there are lots of references to Nazi Germany, and Mark Three was mentioned as a reference to the Third Reich. Oh, really? I, I didn't make that connection myself. No. That's, there are plenty of other way more blatant... pretty tenuous. Questions. That's literally the number three. <laughs> <laughs> but if you think about it... <laughs> Like, if, if it was, like, the Mark III tank that, that ended up fighting or something, I would get that, but... Okay, yeah. Literally... Uh, fair the, enough. Hey, I don't. hey, don't blame me, dude. No, no, I'm not blaming you. There, I would were, not shoot the messenger. There were plenty more way, way blatant, way more blatant clues. Some of the ones I wrote down, I'm sure I missed tons of them. The Iron Cross we get to see at one point. The skull and uh, crossbones on one of the hats at one point. They hire each other. Yeah. They wear armbands. Hello, hello carries a Luger, <laughs> a German-made gun. <laughs> wow. 
Don't they have the little flared bit on the trousers around the thigh as well? Yes, yes, you're right. There are riding trousers, jodhpurs. 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 Hang on, what else, what else, what else? Damn it, I'll think of it. Oh, wait, hang on, yeah, I know what I was going to say. At one point, the doctor even refers to the carnage as a holocaust. Oh, does he? He does. I think I missed that. I can't remember what he refers to. It might be the destruction of the dome. That might be what it is. Hey. It, when when he goes, oh my, yes, exactly. He says something like, I sent Sarah and Harry into that Holocaust. Oh, that does think about it. Yeah. This is World War II, effectively. Yeah. yeah. I mean, given, given this is the setup, it, they're not pulling any punches. Like, you don't have to read between the lines. No, I don't think so either, actually. How does it sit in your mind that the doctor is contemplating genocide? What bothered me, really, is that his moral dilemma... I mean, that's the one thing that I knew about this serial without remembering the actual scene. I certainly knew that at a certain point, he will have to touch two wires or press a button or something. It is within his power to destroy all the Daleks. Yeah. And he chooses not to because he is the doctor and he can't go through with that. That decision is then completely undercut by the fact that he just changes his mind towards the end. He's like, oh. Fuck it, you guys. No, these guys are really bad. Yeah. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> they, they stepped on my sandwich. Damn it. No, they got to go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is the thing. It felt to me like a bit of a cop-out. The, they, the Dalek does it for him, you mean? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So they, they present it. that The Doctor has a conscience, decides not to go through with it, and then, like you say, does a complete 360. 180. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's going to do it. If the Dalek didn't show up, he would have done it. They have a further chickening out of that uh, phenomenon later on in the serial, where he, he sort of admits to it not having destroyed every Dalek forever. He says, what I did only set them back a thousand years. Yeah. I don't know how he did the maths. <laughs> but as far as he's aware, causing that explosion will have destroyed every Dalek. Yeah. Bar maybe a couple outside of the room. And he says himself, I'm pretty sure we can leave those couple of Daleks to the Thals. Yeah. Who have stormed the base and blown half of it up. And Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about this. He's not a particularly good guy. No. They try to excuse it by saying that because of the Daleks, the rest of the universe banded together. Uh, like, basically, the, the fact that we had Nazis meant we got the UN. <laughs> it's this sort of weird justification for the potential holocaust of the Daleks in order to say, well, all of the people who were affected by their carnage then became good pals and they furthered technology and peace across the universe. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing to sell, I think, on that alone. But isn't that what war is in general, though? Is the problem here, is the general... Sorry, that's like a ridiculously philosophical question to ask in this podcast. Like, is the problem here that he is destroying the Daleks before they've had a chance to do everything that they're going to do. Because later on, we see the Doctor defeating the Daleks, and before, we've also seen the Doctor defeat the Daleks on countless occasions. Like, they attack, he defends himself, he's much better at it, and he beats the Daleks. Yeah. Why is this any worse than that? I don't know. (laughs) Is it because they're effectively children at this point? I mean, that's what they're they're trying to get at, because it's... Are they referred to them as embryos? They're still homicidal. One of yeah. those embryonic Daleks tries to strangle him. Yeah. They're not good people. The other thing is, I don't think it's well established what those life forms are. 
in this serial. Like they're plonked into the the moving device, and then we see them as Daleks. The Daleks, yeah. the Daleks have a voice, but they also have. Davros refers to have, having a computer program to link them all together, and obviously he controls them at the start. He's telling them what to do. Okay. So, do we know that these are sentient life forms? Do they we, must be. That's, that's what we we kind of expect. Otherwise, and, he would have built robots. That's that's my my only take on that. There is an organic component in there. He has psychologically programmed. I mean, they say genetically programmed, but he has effectively psychologically programmed these yeah. Daleks to be fascists. Well, to be Nazis, to be... Um, was take out all the meaning of right and wrong and compassion and... Exactly. Empathy and... Unempathic or empathetic creatures just obsessed with eugenics and destruction. That's it. That's all they are. But they are alive. They're just unreasonable, you know. Well, I think what I'm getting at is if you're looking at the, the green slime... Yeah. ...in the, the laboratory or... Uh, in that bio... In- incubator. Yeah, yeah, it is that's, the incubator room, yeah. That's the term I was looking for. I, I think it's hard to look at that and say that is 100% the thing that ends up in a Dalek. I think it really seems that there's more that kind of attaches to oh, that. Oh, I see. So there's a step between the incubator room and the finished Daleks that we see. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not justifying that the Doctor could blow that up without there being uh, too much of a kind of conscious about it. But I don't know. I do, I do kind of question the setup in the, in the serial that it's really obvious that what the Doctor is doing is the big moral dilemma they set it up to be because they're comparing it to basically killing Hitler as a kid. They don't say yeah. Hitler, but no, but that is they, they give that exact scenario yeah. of a kid that grows up to be a bad dictator. I think they, yeah, I think they say and I I don't know if it's the same. It is quite the same thing. I think if you're doing that to Davros, then it would be a more obvious. It's like it's killing that man who's quite clearly a man who goes on to do horrible things. Yeah. But what we're given is blow up this room with some slime in it. Well, which I don't know. It just, it just I feel like it was it's set up as this really really hard kind of moral dilemma. But there's lots of kind of fluff around it. There's a lot of. But the fact that he goes back on it makes exactly. it less hard. Yeah. The the reason why they didn't do Davros instead of the Daleks is, I think, because Terry Nation wrote this and he has to write Daleks into this. So it, if he's going to write a Dalek story, he's not going to write it without his own trademarked, copyrighted Dalek construction in it. So it needs to be, you know, that far into their development. Yeah. There needs to be a tank. And also, possibly, he's he's not necessarily capable of writing the, the intense psychological drama of how do we stalk and then kill this child. <laughs> but, um, and also, aside from that, wouldn't the Time Lords, who clearly don't give a shit about Davros or the Daleks, or messing with history in general, wouldn't they be clever enough to go, well, A, I'm not going to plonk my only hero in the middle of a battlefield with no forewarning, they would also go, let's do this when no one suspects an attack. Let's put them, you know, elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, if they can go back in time and do whatever they want, why don't they go back in time, put a bomb inside that incubator and then go back forwards? <laughs> Problem solved. Uh, wait, hang on. Wait, I was going somewhere with this. In Terry Nation's eyes, the monster here is the Dalek itself. Even Davros has a moment of moral and ethical growth. It, not because he he feels for the universe, but he realizes something's wrong because they've turned on their maker, and he is ready to sacrifice the Daleks himself. But is that that's not from a moral ethical point of view? That's a self preservation. Yeah, I, okay, I, maybe you're right. I lost that. control. 
Okay, fine. But but the fact that he loses control makes him, quote, only human, right? Like, he didn't know what he got himself into. He was in over his head. Yeah. So the the monster is still the Dalek creation. Oh, fuck it. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I, I don't think... What's your question? Wait, I've been babbling. No, we're, we're babbling around the whole thing. It's good. <laughs> I, I've, I've babbled, you've babbled. <laughs> We all had a good time. I need more vodka. <laughs> I think it's it's a super ballsy thing to put into a, a cereal. It is. Definitely. I think there's some questions around the setup of it. Like you say, why do the timelines dump him here? Yeah. Like, do they need to intercept the transmat beam to get him here? Who knows? Um, and um, then, you know what, let's let's just park. Wait, can I oh, just, it got some more stuff. Can I just say one thing? I, 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 I still don't have the trivia in front of me, but there was one point which I'd completely forgotten about, which we will be getting to in the New Who stream very, very soon, and that is the 50th anniversary. Oh, yeah. There was a note in the trivia on Todd's Wikia to say that Matt Smith refers back to this moment, as in the 11th Doctor refers back to the, his time as the 4th Doctor. Okay. And says, basically, that he fired the first shot that led to the time war. And uh, that would be this moment, which means that, you know, X years in the future, seven doctors into the future, he will take some moral responsibility for his actions here. Yeah. And probably view this serial in a very different light. Wait, well, what if he hadn't blown up the incubator? If he hadn't blown it up, do we still think that the Daleks would have turned on Davros and Davros would have been killed? Yes. So we've just got we've got Daleks. They haven't been pre-programmed to know about all the failures they're going to have. Correct. Oh, we got to talk about that. Yeah. So th- I guess I guess it would just be then that the Daleks start as they would have started otherwise. But maybe I don't know. Maybe the Doctor's intervention actually maybe means stronger. that. Maybe it means that. Um, Davros gets killed. I don't, I'm not sure. It's, I, can, I kind of conceive of a scenario where maybe Davros isn't being, his hand isn't being forced so much and maybe he hasn't jumped the gun, missed something and they stay under his control a bit longer. Okay. But I guess, I guess it's not really the doctor that's forcing that. I think a lot of it is probably going to happen anyway with the scientists rebelling and the war happening. In parallel to this, we have the Thals fighting the Khaleds. Yes. And the Khalids being the bad guys, the Thals must naturally be the good guys. And we have hitherto met Thal before. But by the way, I've always said Thal for plural. Here they say Thals. Feels incredibly unnatural to me. Oh, really? We've met them before, and they have always been the oppressed good guys. They're skilled guerrilla fighters, but only because they're forced to be. And they are like, they're basically hippies that are are forced to take up arms. But here, they are dreadful. They take POWs and force them to load radioactive material yeah. into a weapon of mass destruction without even gloves, like without anything. They're awful people. Yes, they are. <laughs> and it's only towards the end that we get this sort of ham-fisted Thal hero. Batten? Batten? Bratton? Breton? Whatever. The, the Thal woman with short hair... Who is Betten. basically the only Betten? Yeah, the only Thal with a speaking part. Yeah, who isn't a, a god grunting evil orders? And 
she seems like this sort of ham-fisted symbol of, actually, these are the good guys, and they've been the good guys all along. And when the Doctor and his companions leave this scenario, the serial, and this planet, we, the audience in 1975, are also left thinking, oh, the Thals were really good guys. There are a number... My point is, there are a number of moral dilemmas that are glazed over completely in the serial. I think there's a hell of a lot of grey. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, war crimes... On both sides. Oh, yeah. Terrible war crimes. Like, the the whole science brigade and the leaders of the, the Khalids, like, they're going along for the ride with a lot of shit that... I've forgotten his name, Davros. Is, but that's the Nuremberg you know, defense, right? That's the whole, like, well, we were just following orders. Which, which doesn't fly. And no, it didn't then, and it doesn't now. Yeah, so, that, you know, they're not doing a lot of good stuff, definitely. And then... Like you say, the majority of what we see of the Thals is... I think, I think it is that, that rocket situation. I think that, that's what we see the most of, isn't it? It's, yeah, that's true. Um, and and they're, that, yeah. they're firing rifle. They're shooting their rifles at these poor escaping POWs. Yeah. Which, by the way, also include Mutos. I have questions for you about the Mutos. Who the fuck are the Mutos? <laughs> I don't know. Are they former Thal or former Khaled's? I think one of the sides actually does kind of indicate it's them. I can't remember which one it was. But I, I would assume it's kind of both. I mean, they look the same yeah. on the outside anyway. I don't know yeah. if there are any other organic differences. But, okay, in later iterations of Scarrow that we've seen, Doctor Who and the Daleks, Peter Cushing's Doctor Who and the Daleks, <laughs> <laughs> there are no Mutos. So the Mutos do not survive. Right. They are going to die out, or at the very least, they're going to be ignored by the BBC. So, what happened to them? The Thal don't give a shit about them. They use them as slave labor. The Khalids think that they're, like, monsters and animals. Yeah. It's dreadful. That's eugenics on both sides yeah. again. Yeah. Well, I mean, are they not effectively their own people anyway, that they just left, yes. to, left to rot and yeah, die like anyway? people who have been stuck on the battlefield, yeah. maybe. Like, everyone who lost a gas mask. Yeah. I mean, going back to your the fact that this should really be an evolution thing, not a, a kind of yeah. chemical <laughs> thing that's happening to real people. But the implication is that, yeah, they have been mutated from a more human form to something that looks basically human. But <laughs> apparently there's some differences. <laughs> this war has been raging for a thousand years, by the way. Yeah. A thousand years? Do you think that's hyperbole? Or do you think it is literally a thousand years? I think it's literally meant to be a thousand years. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've used the term kind of like raging across the planet, I think, at least once, either maybe off, off mic as, as well. But it is one of those situations, again, where the planet seems to be these two bases that are maybe a mile apart. Yeah, that's true. But it, you, Who you knows what's going on on the rest of no, Scarrow? There's definitely the feeling like this is it, though. There are these two warring factions. And After a thousand years, yeah, yeah. there is no peace anywhere. So, but are these the only... I guess that kind of makes sense. The only things if, around? If these you two think domes? Of, yeah, I'm going to say yeah. But it doesn't seem that dangerous to be outside, frankly. I mean, you can be an unarmed trio of civilians and make it across a battlefield without gas masks, hazmat suits, or anything like that, and you're fine. Yeah. Well, the implication when they get into the, the trench on the Khaled side is that they have so few soldiers, they're using their dead to make it look like, like they they're still fighting. Yeah. yeah. By the way, yeah. I really like that the guy that they prop up in the background, that he's sort of bobbing up and down. Oh, is he? Scene, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Yeah, so, I mean, okay, yeah, the, the Thals, Thals loading up 
the rocket using prisoners that are, I think they basically say they're going to live for like two hours max. Yeah. That's it. Well, there's a Carter there who's been around for a while. He's like, oh, I, I have already done it once before. I'm going to do it again. Sarah surely is there for more than two hours as well. Well, I think they, they say something like that. It's going to be a couple of hours. Okay. But what are they loading up? They're loading up a load of shit to put onto a rocket yeah. to kill all the Khalids in one go. Yeah. Meaning there's only one city. Yeah. Yeah. And also meaning that the, another tick in the Thals are absolute, oh my God, insane assholes box. They are about to commit genocide. Yeah. Okay. Hang on. The reason they think that this rocket is going to do the job is because Davros, never mind how, has made it into the Thal city and gone... Oh, no, that's later, though. They, they've already got the rocket. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. They're ready to go. But then fast forward to later on, now they know yeah. exactly how to use that rocket. Davros himself has said, listen, I want an end to hostilities. I want our peoples to live in peace. Here's how you destroy one of those two peoples. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And they're like, oh, yes, please. Yeah. Gimme, gimme. Wait, why are you doing... What? (laughs) Is he going to call himself a Thal? No, he thinks that there will still be Khalids left. At least, I mean, that's the argument that he's making. He doesn't actually think so. He only wants his daughters to survive. But from their point of view, wouldn't they be going fuck is he saying he's sacrificing his entire people he's not saying let let us work out peace he's saying this is how you will win yeah yeah it's no sense to me it's not negotiating for peace it's defecting to the other side exactly but that's not how he frames it no definitely not which doesn't make sense either and also like a few times happens in this serial why the fuck do they trust him Oh, that that formula <laughs> thing. Yeah, we'll just we'll just plug that into whatever we plugged it into and just try it. Yeah, that's not going to explode our rocket in our loading bay or anything like that. No, no, no. It'll be fine. There's a lot of trust on both sides. Why don't they just capture Davros when he shows up? He is the most important yeah. figure on the colored side. And he's just walked into their base. He could, by the way, secretly have Skyped them. <laughs> and that would have been fine. He's like, oh, I'm sending you some details for how to do this. Let me just get out of my bunker and then you can fire your rocket. But instead he goes into their room. They now have the formula. Keep him a, as a prisoner and still fire your rocket. Yeah. Don't let him leave. There's the uh, the doctor uh, and Harry going through uh, Clamland. hey <laughs> <laughs> Harry, in fact, knee-deep in clam. (laughs) I'm so sorry. They encounter the Thal, and then they just turn around and go right back to LOLO. Yeah. Why? Why do they trust him? Why does LOLO trust them? Why are they now friends? Well, this is where it it fits strangely back into... Because they're told that they should go talk to the leaders. Every Every time... A scientist is sat with another scientist. They start kind of like going to each other. Oh, there's Davros. He's he's a bit nuts, isn't he? Oh, he's a bad lad. I I feel like... (laughs) Do do you think, Steve, that maybe we're the evil ones? (laughs) They had that little conversation. And there's always a little bit of, oh, can I trust you kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) And I think half the time it's okay. And half the time it's, no, I'm going to betray you now. And yeah, you're right. Well, I, but they're always played exactly the same way. There's always just that, that kind of like dumb, like two second 
Can I trust you? Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I can no, I'm going to tell you absolutely everything right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think yeah, one of them is saying like, oh, they they've got through to the other side. They've they've spoken to the leaders or something like yeah, that. Yeah. How do you know that? And and I was convinced that he was making that shit up to get to get. <laughs> uh, I think it's Ron, Ronson, which is Ronson. Yeah, it's the first scientist we meet with a, a little bit of a conscience. Yeah, exactly. And I, yeah, you know, I was convinced he was setting Ronson up. Uh, yeah, yeah no, no idea. Like that was not long enough for them to have got got over to the other side and spoken to people and all this kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, but like, but, but he didn't make that up. No. He knew that. So how did he know that? He know. must be part of some sort of resistance. Yeah. The the, the Thob must be contacting people on the inside. I don't. I don't know what this. Yeah, the the, the amazing <laughs> way you can communicate through war. You can scuttle under a little thing and out a out a hatch into the the enemy base, and it's all fine. <laughs> yeah. It's like this this war should have ended probably 999 uh, years ago. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're right. We had, what about the sorry, just to go back to the the Muto in the like the main Muto. The, there's sort of this this Quasimodo scenario going on between him and his unnamed Muto, I think. I don't know if he even has a name. But there's a Quasimodo situation yeah, between him and Sarah. Yeah. He rescues her at least twice. She's the only one who sort of sees through the the mirage of all of his mutations, which, frankly, I didn't even notice. Yeah. And um, But then that doesn't go anywhere. He's prepared to sacrifice himself at the end. He runs in to, to save everyone, right? Do we know what happens to him? Does he get out? Does he survive? She doesn't say goodbye to him. I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I think we basically forget about him. He might no. join the Thal, but I'm not 100% sure. No, I I feel like this is the subplot kind of trying to come back into the main thread. Oh, yeah? So Sarah Jane's come back along with the Muto, <laughs> but it doesn't doesn't quite get in there neatly enough, does it? You know what this is? For people who have seen the web planet, this is the subplot, the literal subplot. This is another literal subplot. <laughs> yeah. This is the equivalent of the literal subplot in the web planet when they have to go underground and then climb up through the whatever undergrowth to the spider headquarters and they're joined by the larvae creatures. Yeah, that's it. End of reference. End of reference. (laughs) (laughs) Is it time for another not quite introductory question, but still a question? Okay. Why is there a suicide switch on Davros's chair? Davros. Oh, the turn off the life support. Yeah. Oh. He's built this chair, right? You would assume he's designed it at the very least. Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah, okay, fine. Why install a suicide switch? It is a little bit odd. Slash a blackmail switch. I guess I could conceive that it's maybe if he had to swap out a component, you have to turn that off and then unplug it and plug a new but thing don't in. Don't make a switch. switch. You might accidentally bump into it. He's <laughs> <laughs> he's got quite shaky hands actually. He might be going for the turn around Dalek button and say, like, "Oh no, I've knocked the air <laughs> supply off." Dalek button. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is that's careless design. <laughs> <laughs> there, whilst we're on switches, okay. Did you happen? I know to, you're going to ask. Happen to notice the the launch button for the rocket? Oh, that's not what, you, what I thought you were going to ask. Yeah. No, what did it say? Well, there's a tiny panel with two buttons. <laughs> One is fire, the other is destruct. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, conveniently, red and green for Ma- fire. Makes Green for fire. And red for destruct. <laughs> makes perfect sense. 
No problem if you're colorblind. I'm laughing at colorblindness. No, no. <laughs> Again, why do you need a big button to destruct to rocket? destroy your your uh, only? Not rocket. even behind one of those little flip up see-through things just to stop you from accidentally <laughs> mashing the destruct button when you're trying to in the mix of your countdown go yes i want to happily launch this oh shit i blew what, it up what if did you like davros's um total destruct button on that top topic oh there was an actual button labeled total destruct oh is this the one he's reaching for when he dies yeah oh, i didn't note the label why have that button <laughs> that's another thing why have that button because to have interesting interfaces that one could be using conveniently wouldn't look as dramatic. That's true. <laughs> it's, it's always actually interesting to reflect on previous ideas of what the kind of advanced technology would be like. They um, had contextual switches down path, though, because he has, what, like maybe four switches on his chair. Yeah. And there's one that's within reach, which he switches on and off all the time. And that thing does a different <laughs> action. It performs a different action every single time he switches it. Yeah. It, it knows what he wants to do. That's true. He, he had an interesting tech develop, actually, which I thought oh, yeah? was going to be something. What was that? Because I'm sure they zoomed in on him. His hand was just sort of like tapping on his panel ah. like in front of him. And he wasn't like about to do a switch or anything like that. It was just... I don't know, it was a strange moment, I think, in one of the episodes, and it kind of focused on it. I like that. I don't know, it, it was interesting. It, it sort of, I kind of wanted it to be explained, though. I kind of wanted it to be like he was tense or, you know, starting to worry about what the Daleks were going to do. Or, yeah, I don't know. But yeah. it, it just never seemed to come back again. Hey-ho. Hey-ho, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that myself. So I'm just scanning through my notes, actually, mm-hmm. kind of reminding myself what happens and the order and uh, actually a little gobsmacked we get to it only episode four and yeah. that's when the car race gets wiped out this is this is when the rocket gets fired off only the quote elite survives yeah and then we get what the hell else do we get we get it's the end of the war at that point the, there's a there's a line in pod four sorry i'm, I'm cutting no no carry on. there's a line in pod four from the thal after they've won the the thal leader whoever he is says something... Oh, yeah, that's right. So, Betton isn't the only one with the speaking part. So, the, the, the Thor leader says something to the effect of, let all prisoners be freed and all their charges be dropped. Oh, uh, yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> Happy day! What about all the war criminals? What about all of this stuff? And shouldn't... Like, I guess this is the, the benefit of there not being a Scarrow version of the Geneva Convention. Like, there's no third party that can go, you know what, Thal, you misbehaved as well. <laughs> <laughs> that rocket business was not above bar. Yeah. I also liked that this is this is where Batten shows up first. Okay. And he's he's made this, literally he's about to walk out the door and then he's like, oh, you know what? Free all the prisoners. Oh, okay. Um, That's not Betten. Betten's the woman with short hair. No, I know. Oh, I see. Yeah, so, so he makes this decree. Yeah. And it's it's very off the cuff. And okay. like this kind of thing to happen, you would you would expect there to be a little bit more to kind of know exactly what it means. And then the doctor, I think, is left with just Betten in the room. And this is her point to be I don't I don't want to assume because she's a woman, they've made her try to be compassionate, but I feel like they, they did. 
So she's she's the first female speaking Thal, and she gets to be compassionate about that they're they're now free to go and stuff. Okay. But she she just reiterates the whole "you're free to go." You know, that's that's what that all means. It's like it's just absolutely setting stone. It's like it wasn't just a random thing he said as he was running out the room. No, no, it's it's one of our most sacred laws. <laughs> I don't know. It just it just came across as all very just. Yes, this is absolutely a hundred percent what everyone is going to do. They're not going to be going. Um, what? Free, free all the prisoners, even him. <laughs> yeah, even but even that guy. He he ate five people. <laughs> are, you, are you sure that's what our leader said to to free everyone? Come to think of it, I don't think I voted for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the it it's come to a point where comparing this with the latest Dalek encounter in New Who that we've reviewed, the the Asylum of the Daleks, yeah. even the Daleks have a concept of democracy. <laughs> true. You mentioned she's the first female Thal that we meet. That's true, but we've met female Thal, or Thals, in prior uh, Classic Who, and they were very different. But okay, so the 60s was also, a, uh, it was a different time. <laughs> the female Thals in C002, they're just these, like, it, first off, all the Thal are blonde, and they're, they're meant to be these sort of Germanic slash Scandinavian beautiful people who live in the forest, sort of. Right. And I guess that's the future of these Thals. And the women are just, I mean, needlessly sporting bikini tops. Oh, really? <laughs> With long hair and just sort of weaving baskets, skin glistening in the sun, that sort of thing. Very different depiction of, of Thal in this one. Yeah. Maybe I mean, it's intentional then to maybe wipe the slate clean a bit. There's, I'm, I'm sure when we were reviewing C002, this is for five, six years ago now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm pretty sure that we talked about the sexuality of the Thals in general, which does not come across in this one. No. Quite pleased to say. Good thing, yes. Yeah. The guys are all hunks. The women are all wearing swimsuits. Blonde bombshells in swimsuits. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Different points. Well done, Doctor, for giving Davros the idea for universal genocide. Re- recap? So, at a certain point, when Davros, for no reason whatsoever except to further the plot, goes, Doctor... Stay here. Let's chat like scientists, even though I just tortured you and your friends and you're my mortal enemy and I'm yours. Don't worry about it, Himmler. I don't need a gun. I've, I've got this down pat. We're friends. And the doctor goes, well, what if you had a virus that could spread and destroy all life? Would you do it? And that was just like, you know what? That's a really good idea. It's like, fuck yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. You know what? I'm getting a bit hard thinking about that. <laughs> I can't believe that I never thought of that myself. Thank you so much. <laughs> No, that, that was stupid doctor. Bad doctor. Very bad doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so we haven't really talked about Nida, which is the... Oh, that's Himmler, isn't Himmler it? Himmler guy. Yeah. yeah. I think he was done fairly well, do you think? Yeah, he was incredibly evil. Yeah. He was the snake of this episode, or this serial. And he, he had a nice role in, in that section I was talking about where people were trying to trust people and... He he came across, well, I think it was probably obvious, you shouldn't trust <laughs> Nida. Yeah. <laughs> but the, if you do, then you know what? <laughs> the lead, lead scientist guy stupidly did. <laughs> and they have a little moment where they, 
they've gone to like talk in secret after talking very openly in public. <laughs> let's let's go to this cell <laughs> in the dark. Yeah, they, so, <laughs> we're not going to turn on the lights. Why don't you list all of your companions? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> remind me again who who's on our side? <laughs> oh yeah. Ha! I'm going to kill them all. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see that coming. <laughs> I like how <laughs> I like how when when Davros and Nida go to chat with the Thals. Yeah. After the meeting, they just go out. The doors close, and those two immediately, openly in the corridor, start chatting to yeah. each other about how they just <laughs> pulled the wool so over everyone. Thals are such dicks. <laughs> <laughs> doors open. What are you? Are you guys talking about us? Oh no 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 no! These are some other Thals <laughs> on a totally different planet. <laughs> Even though we don't think other planets exist with other life forms. <laughs> okay, here's another not quite introductory question at this point. Do you think it's a coincidence that Davros's headrest looks like a massive middle finger? <laughs> How? So every time you see him from behind, I just see a metal fuck you. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> I can't say I ever knew. No, Screenshot on who back when. <laughs> so, oh, oh, sorry. Just, just doubling back, actually. Mm-hmm. The suicide switch. Yeah. We totally glossed over the fact that the doc... Well, I think you did actually mention it briefly, but we didn't really focus on the fact that the doctor tortures Davros. That is true. Yeah. He turns it off and is basically saying, yeah, don't like this, do you? You don't like... I'll do it again. ...being about to die. Look, there you go. You can live again. (laughs) Isn't the ultimatum that he gives Davros in that very same scene, isn't it, listen, I'll kill you unless you kill all of the Daleks? It quite possibly was, actually. Because yeah. I think Davros's order, then, is uh, turn off life support in the incubator. Oh, yes, you're right. Yeah. So it's like, you will kill all of these Daleks, or I will kill you. Yeah, the, do- the Doctor is a massive dick in this one. Yeah, he's he's not walking that moral tightrope line very well. Absolutely not. <laughs> but then again, neither are the Time Lords. Not that the Time Lords necessarily are the best of, of people. No. But the mission that they've sent him on, and he is, at this point, still on said mission. Yeah. It's it's basically until he holds the wires in his hands the first time around that he he is intent on killing the Daleks. Only at that point does he go, no, I'm not going to, until he goes, I'm going to anyway. Yeah. Would you compare him, as in Tom Baker's doctor, threatening Davros in any way with Matt Smith's doctor threatening Solomon in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. Solomon's whose legs have been eaten by dinosaurs. And he's like, you know what? Before I fix your legs, I'm going to need some answers. No. No? Okay. Well, mainly because whilst you would expect the Doctor to help someone who is injured, yeah, he hasn't injured them. He didn't injure Solomon. He didn't... That's true. But leaving him to die is kind of the same as killing him actively, right? Well, he basically does kill him at the end. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I haven't actually listened listened to this review, but yeah, oh, I, do I, it! It's brilliant. No, I, it, I I'll get there. <laughs> yeah, so I I don't know how everyone else thought of you know uh, treating that, but yeah, he blatantly killed him there, and mm. I don't. I we get a lot of this with the doctor. We do get a lot of grey and dark stuff. Yeah. From time to time. I just, I find it interesting every time it crops up though, because the Doctor is eight, nine times out of ten meant to be this kind of super loving, compassionate person who, yeah, accepts that the Time Lords are a bunch of dicks and he's not, (laughs) he wants to stand out from them. Yeah, uh, that's true. I can think of two things that we haven't really talked about. The fact that the, the Carlets have never encountered alien life before. When Ronson meets the Doctor the first time around, they have a chat 
This is right before the the first demonstration of the Daleks and the voice control and that stuff. Yeah. He chats with the do- with the doctor, and the doctor's like, "Dude, I'm I'm from an, a different world." Ronson goes, "Holy shit, I am totally convinced. You guys are space aliens." Okay, that is very good. Why don't we just not focus on that for a moment? (laughs) Sit here. My boss is going to do a town hall meeting. Uh, Let's all get back to business as usual for a moment. (laughs) Maybe we'll chat about this later. The only one who really seems to care about the fact that there's tons of knowledge to be had about the rest of the universe and potentially about the future of the universe is Davros. The rest of this so-called elite doesn't seem phased at all. True. I don't know how, actually how many other people w- would know who um, the Doctor and Co. really are. Though, well, I'm sort of taking Ronson as a representative of the elite in general. Because he seems to be very much on yeah. the wall. He's very clever. I think it might be part of the catalyst that makes him want to rebel, though. And why Ronson ends up oh, I see. Oh, really? be- betraying Davros and, and does try and help the Doctor. Okay. Like, he becomes their, their main confidant who, I want to say, two, two episodes, at really? At least. At least. Yeah. So he obviously put some weight into it that these people are at least capable of helping, if not yeah. anything else, I suppose. Okay. Yeah, fair. All right. The second thing on my list that we haven't really talked about is the time ring. Oh, that, that slippery time ring. Oh. oh, you just can't keep hold of that one. It just one. slips right off your wrist, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that accent is. <laughs> <laughs> I want to send that back to the shop, mate. <laughs> Tighten up some of them springs or something. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> what you want to do is make another hole in the latch, right? So you can tighten it even firmer around your wrist. Oh, oh right. Yeah, yeah. I get you. <laughs> we chose not to watch Mary Poppins tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a TARDIS-free episode. Yeah. And we didn't even say this. We said this the last time we did uh, experiments of whatever. The Sontaran experiment. <laughs> experiments of the Don Sontarans. Um, this is this follows in direct succession the the previous serial. Yeah, they were beaming back up to the planet. They just can't catch a break. All they want to do is get back to this like bug infested space station. <laughs> this is what happens when you decide to teleport down rather than use the TARDIS. Use the TARDIS. Learn your lesson, Doctor. Oh my goodness. Exactly. I should always know where your TARDIS is. But did you like the scene at the end when they're just floating through space, all of them holding onto this time? Oh, no. No, I didn't. Oh, you didn't? I loved it. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I'd have been very... Massively aroused. Very, very happy if it had ended before that. (laughs) Okay. I would have been quite happy if it had... um, Is is it not a really close-up of a Dalek? Is it? Just before that scene. Oh, I don't know. What... There, there are a couple of dramatic things that happen at the end before they're spinning off into space in a, on a ring. Okay. I'm pretty sure Harry lets go at one point and then, oh, and then is kind of like clawing his way back to grab it. <laughs> oh, I missed co- that. Comedy completely. style. Oh, i got to watch um, that again. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Dibs, not it. Well, I think that's fair. I've made you, <laughs> made you do it the last couple of months, haven't I? <sighs> I feel like the numbers might be floating around my head while I'm talking. Okay. I've, ri- I've written a number down. As have I. But I, I kind of want to change it. I just, You're I still able to talk me down. <laughs> I just don't know what to, to do with it. I think the top line is that this is a good serial. Mm-hmm. I think six episodes is always a tough thing to, to fill it up. Yeah. Where it, it all holds together. The pacing is right. You don't... I, I, I've already complained about all the cliffhangers that don't really mean anything. That's fine. I found it very intriguing that there didn't actually seem to be a lot of dialogue really driving the episode through at least the first two, three episodes, maybe. 
like I said, though, it's not a, a bad thing. It's just an interesting thing. I think partly because the production was actually quite high. I think there's enough going on with the, the sets and you you said rightly the set pieces like there's there's quite a bit of action actually going through oh, tons. through the entire serial be it little interactions with daleks or the war set up at the start you know the the big ongoing war between thal and khalid obviously creating a lot of a lot of interesting scenarios and we we've, we've got davros and davros is brilliant yeah. like this is i think he he never sat well as like this amazing foe in my mind, because I didn't grow up with the classics in quite the same way, but he is a brilliant foe. He he is maniacal. He is evil, but with a you know, there's still a little shred of humanity there. You can still reason with him a little bit. He's still he's willing to take risks to get more power and more knowledge. You know, there's he's not just he's not the Dalek, which is you know all encompassing hate machine. There's a little bit of difference to him, and I, hmm. I think it's it's well rounded to get that that difference. Even though he's the great of the Daleks, and they are these single minded things, that he's a little bit more than that. But you can kind of actually fear him more because he can manipulate people. He can have humans around him doing his bidding. I don't know all this kind of stuff. And I think it's 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 set up really well. Either even though there's a lot of a lot of kind of political stuff that ends up, we do get some dialogue heavy stuff in in the middle of this serial, and it's it's allusions to World War Two. Are not hard to miss you know and it's, there's big things about genocide and how far you want to go to well in theory create peace but you're basically killing the entire other side to get it to happen you know the, you know there's a lot of a lot of high moral things thrown at you i'm not sure if they all have the weight that they need to have when you're talking about that kind of stuff but they definitely kind of if you pause for a second they get your mind going and you, you're questioning that and that's quite an incredible thing to do at any point in the television series Agreed. I think it was quite incredible that this, this amazing character, Davros, is killed off, <laughs> supposedly, at the end of this serial. And yeah, I wonder. Another if, brave move. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you in any way, but like, I wonder if they intended for Davros to return. I don't know. I, I, it might become clear when he returns. I guess so. Like how, how far there is a gap, whether it's seen as like a, a fan service thing or whether it fits more into the story. I suppose yeah. we might be able to. Yeah, let's, let's find work. out. Or we could probably look up some trivia. But <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I don't want to spoil it. That. <laughs> so I think, you know, overall, I have to rate this highly because mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Yeah. There are some picky things. I am just going to stick with the number I put down. I've not even pushed it further. It's a 4.3. Oh, okay. 4.3 from Jim. All right. You did not talk me down, sir. Oh, okie dokie. <laughs> Brilliant mini. Spot on. Except for the rating. <laughs> <laughs> Production value is fantastic. I, I think you made an incredibly valid point early on in this review that there's not just a corridor for every scene. When there's a corridor, it's because it's a corridor scene and then everything else has its own set. And that's. I don't think we've had that visual scope, really in a Dalek serial before. Maybe to a certain... I mean, the, the chase has come up on Who Back When on a number of occasions because every episode in that serial takes place in a different location. And for that reason, it is quite varied. But it also contains a bit of a like a, a few cheats. This one seems way more like, instead of just having, oh, we're in, we're in New York or we're in um, a haunted house or whatever, which you get in the chase, in this one... They really delve very deep in this war environment. It's so well done. 
Davros is fantastic. In addition to being well-acted and, and maniacal and crazy and so on and so forth, one thing that rang really, really true for me, more so than other clever foes before, was that he was on par with the Doctor. He's like the anti-Doctor. At a certain point, he refers to himself as a master to the Daleks. Oh, yeah. And I did feel like, yeah, you know what? You could have been in a different universe, in a different time, in a different life. You could have been, but you weren't, because we already had the master. <laughs> Bonus points for the clams. Enough said. <laughs> uh, I'm keeping quiet. <laughs> the set pieces as well. There's one thing that I really want to highlight, and that's the jumping across the rocket or jumping across to the rocket scene with Quasimodo. It's incredibly offensive to call him Quasimodo. The, he doesn't have a name, right, in the serial. The, the Muto. Yes, the, the jump, in quotes. The jump, which is... A step. <laughs> I get it. You've got vertigo, Sarah, but you have also climbed up this scaffolding at this point. Surely you would have died already. You should be fine. Uh, just to interrupt your review, uh, yeah. apologies for that, but I also want to make a note that Sarah Jane is an incredible climber. Like, I know. And even just the production of that climbing scene, genuinely, yeah. like, genuinely dangerous production. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Like there's yeah. some really nice editing there. Like I'm assuming that they never get more than like three feet off the ground. Exactly. But, yeah. <laughs> that was very well edited, actually. To get I was going to say three of... meters, but yeah. Fine. <laughs> anyway, please continue. Oh, sorry. Already touched upon Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane, I think you're right. She's split off from the rest of the gang, but she is she's really strong. Once again, she's really strong as a character. She's uh, thoroughly written. Uh, she has tons of agency. She leads her own little rebellion on the side, in a way. She's the Steve McQueen of this escape plan. And I love that about her. Harry Sullivan, fantastic. My favorite part of Harry Sullivan, frankly, is the one that makes no sense whatsoever. It's when a god suddenly turns around and it turns out it's Harry Sullivan who is donning a <laughs> god uniform and gear and everything. It makes no sense. When did he do that? Why did he do that? Why does he then change back? I don't know. Uh, but I love it. I love it. He's fantastic. The one thing that kind of takes this down for me a little bit, sorry, the two things that take, take this down for me is that the Doctor's Dilemma is undone at the end. So I, I, I give this a huge bump for the Doctor's Dilemma, but then it's kind of lowered a little bit. Yeah. Um, and the second thing is that it, as Terry Nation is wont to do, he is recycling his plot points. He's recycling certain, certain elements to his stories. If you draw a graph for what this story elicits in you psychologically and just in terms of its production and you compare that to the graph in the Daleks or in the chase or like anything else that he's done there are massive similarities in general the the reason I'm giving it this mark is because I have previously given my, my highest rating to a Terry Nation story is 4.7 for the Dalek invasion of Earth and it is brilliant at 4.6 I have The Keys of Marinus. Now, this is not as good as The Dalek Invasion of Earth. I'm really sorry. So I'm giving this... I'm giving this a 4.6. Ooh. 4.6. Nice. Also, very soon, coming to whobackone.com is uh, the ability to list our rankings in order of their rankings. List all episodes, all reviews in order of our rankings and... Oh man, I'm looking at a, at a at a preliminary version of my list right now, and I regress so many of my <laughs> ratings. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, four point six. Shall we have a listen to Podcast Land? Let's do that. Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max to 
50 or it would get out of hand. First up, we have Thomas Meehan. Hello, Thomas. Hey, Thomas. Thomas starts, Genesis of the Daleks is the only Tom Baker serial I enjoy over and over. Oh, really? I love how we get to see how the Daleks were created and by who? Davros. Michael Wisher as Davros is brilliant and my only favorite portrayal of the mad scientist. Mm. I especially love the Doctor's speech. Leon, do you want to give us the speech? Uh, I, I shall, but, but please don't expect Tom Baker levels of acting here. In fact, I'm not even going to try. If someone knew the future pointed out a child to you... Ugh, damn it, see, this is one of the matter. <laughs> if someone who knew the future pointed out a child to you and told you that that child would grow up totally evil to be a ruthless dictator who would destroy millions of lives, would you then kill that child? Do I have the rights? Simply touch one wire against the other and that's it. The Daleks cease to exist. Hundreds of millions of lives. Thousands of generations can live without fear, in peace, and never even know the word Dalek. But if I kill, wipe out a whole intelligent life form, then I become like them. I'd be no better than the Daleks. I'd give this serial 10 out of 10, says Thomas Meehan, <laughs> which we translate as a 5 out of 5. <laughs> you clearly love this serial, Thomas. Awesome, 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 awesome. Thank you so much for writing in. Okie dokie, we have a lot of these, so we're going we're gonna to crack on. Thank you again, Thomas. Next up, we have Paul Forber, who has sent in a little bit more than 250 words, and consequently, we're going to be ruthless, and we're going to hack and slash and read out but part of this magnificent review so but for its full splendor please go to whobackone.com and read it there paul starts off by saying outgoing producer barry let suggested writer terry nation detail the dalek's origins after pointing out his new script was similar to his last two dalek stories the resulting story painted both daleks and their genetic ancestors Khaled's, as nazis Khaled's felt a need to maintain racial purity Goose stepped while saluting, and security commander Nider, played by actor Peter Miles, wore an iron cross with his black Gestapo-esque uniform in the first two episodes. The first episode concluded, as Dalek creator Davros called his initial Dalek weapons test, a moment that will live in history, referring to American President Franklin, Franklin Roosevelt's calling the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor a day that will live in infamy. Oh, interesting little reference. I didn't catch that. No. Nice one. Thank you, Paul. And this is where the scythe of our <laughs> snippers... No, we're skipping to the end. <laughs> so Paul concludes with performances carried this well-paced, tightly written morality tale, which pit of a doctor, doctor against Davros while giving Sarah Jane and Harry things to do. It's Terry Nation's best contribution to Doctor Who since The Daleks, and a brilliant classic. Oh, damn right. Oh, I really... Re I'm so sorry that we reviewed The Daleks the second time around, like in our second episode, because I'd give it so much higher a rating. Paul, thank you so much. Awesome, awesome mini. Ladies and gents, go to whobackone.com, read the full mini there. And in the meantime, please high-five Paul online. He is at Wordsmith Paul. Thank you, Paul. Next up, we have Trenton Blaze. Hey, Trenton. Hello, Trenton. Trenton starts. Seeing the actual birth of the Daleks is a simple but brilliant twist on the traditional Dalek runaround. We have former producer Barry Letts to thank for this. Dissatisfied with Terry Nation's initial submission, Letts instead suggested an origin story. An inspired nation rose to the challenge. What he crafts is definitely his best Dalek script since the Daleks' Ooh. master plan. Oh. If not his best Dalek script, period. 
If inventing the Daleks in 1963 was genius, then what word is left to describe Davros? Not only is this Mekon on heroin, a clever device to bridge the Khalids and their anagrammatic counterparts, but as portrayed by Michael Wisher, he is also an effortless contender for greatest villain in Doctor Who history. Mm. Chunter continues, If I have one gripe, though, I think this story could work with or without Harry. (laughs) Quite possibly. In episode six, the scene where the Doctor is debating whether to destroy the Daleks or not was clearly written for all three members of the main cast, but Harry gets nothing in. Unfortunately, at this point, he's a bit redundant, and was and this was why his stay in the da- TARDIS was short. Overall, says Trenton, what do I think of Genesis of the Daleks? Well, what can I say? This is perfection. Absolute perfection. This is purely top shelf Doctor Who. Sorry, I'm giving you a Dalek voice here. A nation on fire, an assured captaincy by David Maloney. Genesis is the quintessence of Who. Frightening, fantastic, unforgettable. This story has definitely earned my first 5.0 out of 5. Whoa. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much. That is a brilliant mini. Trenton, thank you so much. Uh, ladies and gents who are not Trenton, please follow Trenton online. He is at Trenton Bless. That's Bless with two. What's Jim? S's. That's right. Next up, we've got Michael Ridgeway. Ridgeway. Hi, Michael. Hello, Michael. So this time, Michael is breaking it down episode by episode. He started, obviously, with episode one, where he says, What the hell is that Time Lord wearing? Doesn't he realize how ridiculous he looks? And also... You know what works well with army camouflage? Red and yellow striped gas masks. <laughs> Episode 2. Harry and the Doctor look nonplussed with the Dalek incubator. The bubble wrap Nova worm with the others set the gross-out bar, gross bar too high. And also, Thals are super mean. Never rooting for Thals again. Yeah, I hear you. I, <laughs> I hear you, Michael. <laughs> Episode 3. Carlet politicians are super nice. These guys for the win, please. <laughs> Episode four, fire and destruct buttons side by side. Which idiot designed this console? Oops, butterfingers, kaboom. <laughs> I know, Michael, I know. <laughs> Episode five, awesome speech number one. Davros and his hypothetical virus. This guy is a cloud cuckoo fruitcake. Episode 6, awesome speech number 2. Do I have the right best dialogue in in Who history? And awesome speech number 3. We will take our rightful place as the supreme beings of the universe. I have this speech on an apron. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is what I was thinking of as would have been a better final end. Oh, I I see. I think it might have been that. (laughs) And Michael has a little comment. Big Finnish adventure, I, Davros, is a fantastic prequel to Genesis. Who back when audio review, please? Ooh, tempting us. Tempting, tempting. And Michael adds a summary. If Death to the Daleks was the glass ceiling of the Khaled Dome, Genesis was the Thal rocket that broke it. Had Doctor Who ended with the sixth Doctor, Genesis would be the best Dalek and Doctor Who story ever. As it stands, it is merely the second best Dalek story and the 14th best Doctor Who story. <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's some serious ranking going on in the spreadsheet somewhere. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Michael, I want to see your full ranking list at some point. The rating that Michael has given this is 4.9 out of 5 mutant killer clams <laughs> chomping on a crying muto. 
immensely gratifying and arousing, Michael. Thank you so much. Ladies and gents who are not Michael, please, please, please follow Michael online. He is at bad underscore movie underscore club. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Next up, we have Chris Tapps Paddock. Hey, Chris Tapps. Hello, Chris Tapps. <laughs> Chris Tapps starts. Because I slammed recent two episodes, I feel impelled to sound in on a classic. This is the single best story in classic Who, and it's not even close. While some achieve greatness in a script, sets, costumes, action, or other areas, this turns everything it touches to gold. The genesis of the Daleks brings in the Time Lords, reboots the Daleks with no tired old tropes, introduces arch-villain Davros, imagines a huge world, and pulls it off with great sets. It also, according to Kristoff, talks politics, but never loses the story, spans six episodes with nary a wasted line, and to cap it all off, Tom Baker gives the best monologue in Who. I give this an unqualified 5.0 absolute masterpiece. Whoa. There's a lot of love for this. Thank you so much, Chris Tabs. Awesome, awesome stuff. <laughs> Great stuff. Thank you. Next up. Oh, my goodness. All right. Oh, the, 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 I saw the racing. <laughs> <laughs> These keep on coming. All right. Next up, we have Paul Waring. Hello, Paul. Hey there, Paul. Paul says, planets destroyed by war, deadly plant and animal life, mutations caused by radiation, Daleks. Was this by any chance written by Terry Nation? Wait, is that an intentional rhyme? <laughs> Paul continues. Early on, we meet the Khaleds who bang on about not wasting ammunition and then open fire with automatic weapons and still failed to hit the Doctor and Harry. Davros programs for Daleks to consider themselves the superior race in the universe, forgetting that this makes him inferior and therefore a candidate for extermination. Bit of an oversight there. The regulars are on top form, with Baker clearly comfortable in his role as the Doctor. Both companions get both companions get plenty to do. I love that Harry gets to save the Doctor's life when he steps on a mine, despite being the butt of jokes in other stories, and that Sarah leads an escape attempt. Doctor Who works best when the companions are active participants rather than just someone who needs saving. As for the supporting cast, Peter Miles steals the show with a flawless performance as Nida. Michael Wisher is also by far the best Davros, managing to sound sinister even when speaking quietly, whereas later actors tend to shout and rant. Mm. Overall, if I was going to introduce someone to Classic Who, this is the story I would start with. It shows what can be done if you get a good script, a fantastic cast, and a classic villain. Can you guess? We've got another five out of five on our hands. Five out of five. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Bing bang. Thank you so much, Paul. Uh, people who are not Paul, please follow Paul on Twitter. He is at P Waring. Thanks, Paul. Thank you so much. Next up, we have a new reviewer, Bill Pepper. Hello, Bill. Hi, Bill. Way back when we were kids and cousin Mike, hi Mike, introduced me to Doctor Who. Genesis of the Daleks was my first serial, says Bill. I was immediately hooked. From then on, whether it was an earlier serial or a later one, I always viewed the Daleks with this origin story in mind. The mysterious Time Lord who recruits the Doctor to destroy the Daleks is a hint of what interesting allies, foes that the Time Lords could have been for the series, though it never really pays off. The Nazi overtones are clear and well done. Although Davros could go on to be way overused in the series, in Genesis he is a very compelling character. Harry doesn't get to do much, but Sarah's escape with the mutants is heroic. 
I am sad the giant clam never appeared again in the series. That makes two of us. That's an opportunity for you, Big Finish. And of course, the Doctor's agonized, do I have that right speech when preparing to destroy the Daleks, rivals his Homo sapiens speech in Ark in Space for sheer Tom Baker gloriousness. Unlike Pertwee's disgust at the Brigadier burying the Silurians, the fourth Doctor runs right up to the genocide line. But then because he is the Doctor, he backs down. One wonders if a post-Time War Doctor would have done the same. Although even as a kid, I sense that six parts is perhaps a bit too long for Doctor Who. This serial is a classic for good reason. I give it 4.0. Wow. (laughs) I feel like this is the first time someone's using the scale properly. But I enjoy all the excitement (laughs) everyone's got around this. Excellent stuff. Thank you so much, Bill. Really, really happy that that you've joined us on this journey. Bill Pepper can be found online. He is at Carnival of Glee. All in one word. Thank you so much. Next up. Last up, in fact. Last review in here. Oh, my goodness. Who's this from? Who is this from? It's Johnny Treadlightly? Who's that? Yeah, who on earth? Wait, I know who this is. Who's that? It's Marie's dad. (laughs) Long time listener, first time reviewer. (laughs) (laughs) Hello there. Very nice to make your acquaintance. So this review starts, Genesis of the Daleks, eh? Scaro, a quarry-like planet where the Thals do battle with the Khalids. The Doctor is on a mission to destroy, or at least find a weakness in the Daleks. A Time Lord gives the Doctor a time ring, actually a bracelet, (laughs) to get back to the TARDIS, saying, whatever you do, don't lose this. It's lost, then found, dropped, then uh, found again. Who knew the Doctor was so careless? This story has everything. The Doctor strangling Daleks, killer clams, Davros, and mutants. Spoiler alert, says Johnny Tread lightly. I was surprised that Davros was exterminated as he appears in other stories. But I guess for an evil genius, death is merely inconvenient. For me, the ending should have been when the Dalek had his monologue to camera, but still the second best story with Tom Baker as the Doctor, in brackets, Pyramids of Mars is still number one. Pyramids of Mars is coming up, by the way. Johnny Treadlightly gives this. Oh, he says, I loved it. And he gives this in unison. 3.89 out of five. (laughs) I was going to round up. (laughs) 3.9 out of five. Oh, excellent stuff. Thank you very much, Johnny Treadlightly. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) <laughs> Marie is in the room giving you a thumbs up <laughs> Two thumbs up <laughs> Oh, I remember Pyramids of Mars In particular, I remember a riddle in it Oh, oh, oh. Okay, okay. riddle yeah, yeah, that's coming up, that's coming up But that isn't the next one, what is the next one, Jim? So the next new who we've got is A Town Called Mercy mm, Going back to the Wild West Yeah, what's the next classic we've got? It is Revenge of the Cybermen Oh, exciting From Daleks to Cybermen. That's quite a shift. Yeah, that is. Well, I mean, ish. (laughs) (laughs) Looking forward to that. Uh, In the meantime, people can say hello to us on Twitter, I believe. They can. I'm at Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the Who, you say? I think I'll go right ahead and follow you right now. (laughs) And so should you, podcast lads. I don't know why I don't say anything. (laughs) And I'm at Ponkin, P-O-N-K-E-N. Follow me if you want. I mean, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Until the next time, rock on and cha-chao. See ya. Kablamo! 
did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey, Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao Back when he kisses her hand and she goes in, she goes in and kisses him on the lips and then goes into the TARDIS. Yeah, punk number two walks up to punk number one. It's like, hey, wouldn't you want to tap that? (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know how Ian feels about this. I mean, there's this weird for me, there's this weird sexual chemistry going on.